so this morning I want to come to you from uh, the gospel according to Luke. I'm in the 12th chapter beginning at verse 49 and you will find it also in your bulletin. Luke writes, I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, Five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Isn't it interesting that this passage that was mapped out in the lectionary for this week long ago talks about division because of faith in Jesus Christ. It can be very troubling for us as Christians when we read this passage, especially if you have an impression of Jesus as as this meek and mild, humble man from Nazareth. We, We forget sometimes, I think, that Jesus is God incarnate. We forget sometimes that love sometimes means telling people what they don't want to hear. And we want our Jesus to be one of inclusion, despite principle, tolerance, without judgment, even though it is given to Jesus alone to judge. I find it particularly timely in the light of the division we have just come through in our denomination. And I say come through because we have come through it. The reality of Jesus is that we are compelled to make choices about right and wrong, about good and evil. We are, if we are true to our relationship with Christ, compelled to acknowledge certain things about the nature of Jesus Christ. Things like his lordship, like his divinity, like his mission, and things as profound as the truth. Some of our brothers and sisters have forgotten about the lordship and the divinity of Christ. And that is the source of the division we have come through. You have chosen wisely. You believe Jesus Christ is Lord. You believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate and that his word and his will are to be kept and followed and practiced. That is what it means to be Christian. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, when he was commenting on this very passage from Luke, said this. He says, Jesus here reveals a great peculiarity of the gospel which causes men to oppose it. He bears witness that the gospel is an ardent, fervent, flaming thing, a subject for enthusiasm, a theme for intense devotion, 
a matter which excites men's souls and stirs them to the lowest depths. For this reason, mainly, it arouses hostility. Hostility, not unity for unity's sake. The only thing we're to be united in is the mind of Christ. Unity for any other reason is not unity. It's heresy. Luke continues. Jesus said, I've come to start a fire on this earth. How I wish it were blazing right now. I've come to change everything. Turn everything right side up. How I long for this work to be finished. Do you think I came to smooth things over and make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and confront. And from now on, when you find five in a house, there will be three against two, two against three, etc. See, Matthew gives us a, a unique perspective on this same uh, passage of Scripture. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword. It's interesting that the sword is also the symbol for the word of God, the truth. The truth divides those who want to adhere to the truth and those who want to have it their own way. If you've got an agenda outside the word and will of God, that's on you. It has nothing to do with Christ. So Spurgeon says, if the gospel were a mere propriety of ceremonies, a truth which would slumber in the creed or lie entombed in the brain, if it were not a spiritual principle which lays hold upon the innermost nature, rules the emotions, fires the affections. If it were not all of this, it would remain unopposed because it is so living and forcible a principle. The powers of evil are up in arms to stay its course. In other words, if the gospel weren't true, Satan and all of his minions and demons wouldn't have a problem with it. They'd be singing in church right alongside you if the gospel were not true. But it is true. And so they try to keep each and every one of us who want to follow Christ from doing just that. Isn't that the way it works? I mean, if you want to test this, and I say this often, just get onto Facebook and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ on a public forum that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ and just sit back and watch the masses rise up against the very proclamation. See, our society, our culture rejects the gospel message. What is good is called bad. What's bad is called good. What's right is called wrong. What's wrong is called right. These are the signs of the times. This cultural shift away from the church away from righteousness, away from the gospel, even within denominations of the so-called church, if you can believe it. Luke talks about the signs of the times. Luke 12, 54 through 56. 
Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, especially in Texas. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? All you have to do is look around and see that this is true. It's true. It's not an easy time to be a Christian. Dare I do it? Turn to your neighbor and say, it ain't easy being like Jesus. Oh, come on. It ain't easy being like Jesus. I know it's early in the morning, but isn't that fun? I love that. So here Luke says that when Jesus turned to the crowd and he said to them, when you see the clouds coming in the west, you say there's a storm coming and you'd be right. And when the wind comes out of the south, you say this is going to be a hot one and you'd be right. Why then, if you can tell a change in the weather, can you not tell a change in the season the God season that we're in right now. God is doing something new. And you have been witnesses. No, not just witnesses. You have been an instrument of that newness. Amen. By your vote, by your presence here in the church, by doing what God has asked of you, being faithful to the word and will of Jesus Christ, you are doing that. In Matthew 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are demanding that Jesus give them a sign from heaven that he is who he says he is. And so Jesus answers them in Matthew 16. He says, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And then he calls them an evil and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. And he tells them, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. And then he left them and went away. Well, they had to have been scratching their heads at that point. What did he mean? Sign of Jonah. Well, we have to go back to Matthew 12, verses 38 through 40, where it talks about this sign of Jonah. It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Jesus is telling them that I'm going to give you a sign. 
And it's the only sign you're going to get. But it's a doozy. Jesus might have said to them, you folks just don't get it. Why should I continue to show you miracles and signs and wonders? But see, it's, it's in Jesus' nature to be generous to the children of God, isn't it? Because we see Him do wonderfully good things, miracles throughout His ministry for their benefit so that He can teach them things about the nature of God. So He can teach them about the faithfulness of God. And then finally, at the end of His earthly ministry, He gives them, He gives us, one sign that is different from all the rest of the miracles. He gives them the resurrection of Christ by His own power. What He calls the sign of the prophet Jonah. It's to be the great proof of Christ being the Messiah. For by that, He was declared to be the Son of God with power, Romans uh, one through four tells us such a sign that it surpassed all the rest of the signs and his work was complete and his victory was his crowning glory. If they will not believe the former signs, the smaller miracles, then they're bound to believe this, this sign of Jonah, this resurrection and if the resurrection doesn't convince them, nothing will. And that is what's happened to cause this division. You think it's about human sexuality? No. It's about recognizing that Jesus Christ died for the sins, past, present, and future of humankind. And if you don't believe that, you can't call yourself Christian. You see, it, it's those who just will not see who we are at odds with within the culture. Some of them may be right in our own household. Some of them may even have some type of authority over us in the world. Maybe our boss, our employer. Some of them may be someone who's dear to us, a friend or a relative. These people require love and prayer. I like to say that they're EGRs. You've heard it before. Extra grace required. EGRs. You've got EGRs in your life. We may have to love them despite their ways. But what we should never do is go along to get along. What we must never do is condone their sin. We must never be their sin enabler. See, Jesus ate with sinners, but he never participated in their sin. When it comes right down to our very souls, we can never agree to compromise the truth of the gospel for anything, for anyone, for any reason, ever. Luke is telling us here that we need to be on fire for the gospel. 
We need to be fearless and relentless in spreading the gospel. Paul tells us in Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And so what I'm asking of you this morning is to ignite the fire that the Holy Spirit has put into each of you. We have a lot of work to do in our new role, in our new denomination, in our new endeavor to stay within the word and will of God. We've got work to do in this community. Spurgeon says, O lovers of Christ, come and bow at his feet and ask him to let his love supply you with fire this morning. Come to the pierced one. Gaze upon the thorn crown. Look into the hole with which the soldier's spear was made. Gaze into the nail prints and say unto your soul, No more, my God. I boast no more of all the duties I have done. I quit the hopes I held before to trust the merits of your son. There's a letter that Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He's thanking God for the Colossians. But what he's also doing in that letter that thanks them for their obedience and for their steadfastness in following Christ, he's letting them know who this Christ is that they have chosen so faithfully to follow. I think it behooves us to understand who Jesus is. As we go forward, listen to what Paul writes to the Colossians. He begins, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who is this Jesus that we worship? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. That is the Jesus that we worship. See, we look at Jesus 
the son of the most high God, right? And we see that he holds everything together. He was supreme in the beginning and he will be supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he is there above everyone and everything, towering above my circumstances, whatever they may be. He's bigger than all the broken pieces of your life. And he fixes things. He fixes things. He fixes people. He fixes relationships. He fixes circumstances. All things get properly fixed and put back together in perfect, vibrant harmony. All because of his death, his poured out blood pouring down from the cross, covering our transgressions and giving us new life because of his victory over death. See, through him we share in the resurrection and we have eternal life with him. This is the Jesus who you follow this morning. Isn't that magnificent? He is the way, the truth, and the life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Those of you who can.